श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए श्री गौर भक्त वृंद की जाए श्री सारा ग्राही की जाए गौर प्रेम that's called prema dhwani it's a nice word two words prema dhwani i mean dhwani means like sound hmm? sounds prema means love sounds of love love sounds love notes those are love notes <laughs> love notes so it's a typical godia tradition our tradition is called godia godia goda Goda refers to what's now called West Bengal. Goda, Goda Desh, Godia, and um, it's a nice name, also because Goda, or Goda, the R and the D, there, in the, in Bengali, Goda, or you can say Godia. Go, sounds like our Gaudiya or Gaudiya. Anyway, Gauda and Gauda. Hmm? They're similar and and also hmm, it, uh, it also means like sweet, like honey, hmm? sweet, charming. It's a very, of course, very sweet and very charming uh, philosophy. We don't often think of philosophy as being very charming and sweet, but more profound and maybe give you a headache, something like that, to have to sort out the abstract thoughts and uh, and uh, how they might apply practically in one's life, how they might ends one end one's life as one knows it or change it dramatically, as may be the case. Um, but a very sweet philosophy. I suppose you could say the the theology. It's a it's a it's a um, religio philosophical hmm, ideology, what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was given. So uh, theology maybe would be um, to the theological side, the, the sweetness. And I, I, I like this point um, overall because in any discussion, logical discussion, they're always going to be possibility of a counter logic for any kind of logic that's why in the sutras of Vyas which are the attempt really the first attempt in human society to um, theologize and by that I mean to make sense out of revelation the Eastern revelation the Upanishads are quite old and um, of course the Old Testament is very from Western point of of Revelation is very old as well, but the theologizing about the Old Testament and its um, follow-through in the form of the New Testament came much, much later in Europe hmm, than the, th- the theologizing that occurred in India about the Eastern Revelation, the Upanishads. Hmm. It's called Vedanta Sutra. It's the Nyaya, or the logic um, of how all the sounds of the Upanishads 
this form of revelation. Upa, Upanishad. It means literally sit close. Sit close means the implication is come sit close. I'm going to tell you something that is a secret. Hmm? It's a secret because, in one sense, because most people will not be interested in it. The common fare is something else. Hmm? How to eat, how to sleep, how to meet, mate, how to do this and how to do that, and, and don't ask why. Hmm? That's too much of a problem. Hmm? If you start asking why, you may stop eating. Hmm? You may lose sleep. Hmm? <laughs> you, may, you may forget about mating even. <laughs> it's possible. Um, but why is the human question that we are, in a sense? I like to think of humanity as 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 a, as a question. Hmm? Why? Why am I qualitative? In other words, hmm? um, pursuit rather than a quantitative pursuit. How to add things on to make myself feel more more full? Um, how to get this? How to do that? But why? Why do I do anything? Why should I do anything? Hmm? What is the meaning, value? And this all comes, as you know, um, thoughtful people, as you are from the subjective realm. It doesn't come from the objective realm. The objective realm does not ask why. Hmm? This is from the subjective side. Hmm? And um, it's, you know, where all meaning comes from. It's interesting how in modern thinking, philosophy, um, the whole of, of humanities has been so much um, uh, d- devoured by by science and technology. It's on the run. Is there any meaning to the humanities? Do they have any place any anymore in the, in the way they teach the humanities in the school now? It's all very scientifically oriented, scientifically informed sciences, the findings, and then the put him in, put that those findings which are neutral in the hands of technology and they make things work for us in ways that we can identify with readily um for comfort and so forth um, <coughs> but and as a result of that of course the subjective realm is played down hmm? so you think so you feel hmm? right um, what's the objective truth? Everybody has different feelings, but what's the objective truth? If I say that um, I think and I feel like this, it doesn't necessarily have a lot of credibility unless we can demonstrate it, that what you think and feel is um, can be verified by third person. Hmm? So... The truth, in other words, truth is, uh, you know, it's very like, how would you say, um, kind of a, kind of, it's kind of a, we live in a time where there's a kind of a resurgence of uh, logical positivism, empirical positivism uh, combined, something like that. Hmm? And, um, but again, I mean, the whole subjective realm, that, that is entirely dependent upon the subjective realm to even exercise um, 
to undergo the exercise of demonstrating what is empirically true. And, of course, the old well-known idea that empiricism as a perfect way of knowing is not empirically demonstrable has to be invoked. Hmm? Can't prove that. So, At any rate, my, my point is that the subjective realm has value, hmm? immense value. And this is our concern as uh, followers of the uh, Upanishads, hmm? the subjective realm. And the why question, hmm? which surfaces in human society, hmm? if there's a question that human society is, and I don't mean, in, in, in the in sacred text of India, you find this term in the Bhagavad, Dvipada Pashu. Dvipada Pashu. Pashu means animal. Dvi means two, and Pada means legs, like two-footed, two-footed animal. That we don't want to be. <laughs> you understand the point? Dvipada Pashu. Without asking the why question, then we become a, a, just a, a two-legged animal, unfortunately, with a, with a brain, uh, with a bigger, more developed brain, with intelligence, more developed <coughs> intelligence, that makes us for a very dangerous uh, species. In other words, if we live hmm, only in the pursuit of the animal propensities, hmm, for eating, for sleeping, for mating, and so forth, for protecting ourselves, and our intelligence becomes compromised, hmm, compromised by an unholy alliance with the mind, and the senses. You know, we become a very dangerous beast. You know, they say that humans are distinguished from the uh, less complex forms of life because of intelligence. Right? Isn't that what do they say? Isn't it? Intelligent. Hmm. But if intelligence in human society is used only for the animal, the same thing that the animals are doing without the need of it, hmm? a glorified way of eating, sleeping, mating. Hmm? In other words, intelligence is supposed to distinguish us and, and reason from the call of the wild, if you will. Hmm? It's supposed to distinguish us. But if we use it only in... If the mind has an idea, if through the senses we get an experience of sound, of touch, taste, smell, and it registers in the mind in the way that says, that feels good, I like that, hmm? Our intelligence should be a voice that's not too quiet, that often says, you may like it, but it's not good for you. Hmm? But if, And it may do that, but it tends to be a quiet voice. And the more it's compromised intelligence by the mind and senses, the more it just isn't complicit and says, and says well, let's find a way to get that. And then we use our intelligence hmm, only as an assistant of the senses and the minds, mind and their call, their, their, their demands and so forth for acquisition, hmm? for um, making our way in, the, in, the, in, a, in relation to the objective world, hmm? the world of things, hmm? which look like they're offering themselves to be acquired and by acquiring them we'll be more and so forth. This is a very backwards way of thinking from our perspective. And intelligence, welcome. Intelligence should not be, um, make this unholy alliance. Intelligence should be that voice that says, as I say, that may feel good, you may think that's good, but it's not good for you. Hmm? And it can be used, intelligence, 
in conjunction with Revelation, as I'm saying, to make some sense out of it and to explain the argument of Revelation in an ongoing way so that it continues to have credibility, meaning, and hit home, so to speak, as times change and the seasons change and everything stays the same. <laughs> the real problems stay the same, but the scenery changes. Hmm? And the real problems are the why question, why am I? What is my purpose, meaning? Does life have meaning, purpose, value? And today, even you know, in the, in the, in the non-theistic communities, there's the reasoning as to why it has no meaning and purpose. This is a very purpose-driven group to demonstrate that life has no purpose, no meaning. It's a no-purpose purpose. It's purposeful. In other words, we, we are consciousness, the world is consciousness-driven, and driven consciousness has purpose, has meaning. All value comes from consciousness, hmm? from the subjective realm. world wouldn't matter if it didn't matter to us. Hmm? It only matters because we matter about it. Hmm? So... The Upanishads, hmm, this is a form of revelation and, and sound. It's a, uh, kind of the, it's the, it's the, if the human life, as I say, is the question, why, where will the answer come from? Hmm? If human life is a question, why, where will the answer come? This is a very interesting point. Because, welcome. The answer to the how questions, which are also relevant to us as human beings, we do not need to know how to eat and how to sleep and how to mate and how to protect ourselves. We do need to know these things. Hmm? But we need to know something more. Hmm? Now, those questions, nature will answer. As we see in every species of life, the questions of how to eat and how to sleep and how to mate and how to defend are answered by nature because they are questions that pertain to the objective side of ourselves. The objective side means our body, for example. Hmm. It's made of the same stuff that the rest of the objective world is. It's a particular combination of whatever, the stuff that we call matter. Hmm. So it has a way, nature, if you will, the natural world, of answering the natural questions, questions about, about itself. If there's a form constituted of matter, as there are many species, for example, or examples, if they all have a built-in system, nature has a built-in system for their protection, right? Skunk has a you know tail and a and a smell and and um, the tiger has its method. The deer has uh, can run fast and and so forth. Hmm? The deer, by the way, is the most dangerous animal in America. Did you know that? <laughs> More people have died from deers than any other animal in America because <laughs> they can't run faster than cars. That's a, yeah, that's a problem. We means we are the most dangerous animal in, <laughs> in the in the world today. Um, so anyway, my point is that uh, many points at the same time. Forgive me, but uh, that 
that the how questions are answered by nature, but nature cannot answer the why questions, hmm? because the why questions are subjective, not objective. Hmm? The why questions, quality questions, purpose, meaning, value. Hmm? Nature has nothing to say about that. Hmm? That's why science, which explores nature on a certain level through a certain methodology, has no qualitative questions. They're just it's just facts. This, this happens. Now, what you do with that and how you interpret that, that that's a whole other thing. Hmm? What meaning you might make out of that. But the facts themselves, it doesn't, they have to be applied. Hmm? Hmm. So it's, it's thought to be uh, neutral. Hmm? We're not neutral. <laughs> that's a problem, and it's also... Uh, it's, direction we should we should go into some extent that's another subject but the anyway the point is that the why questions how will they be answered how to eat how to sleep how to mate how to defend every species we find nature answers these questions for them automatically now we are supposed to be more advanced in the less complex forms of life why is it such a problem for us to answer the question why to eat how to eat I should say how to sleep how to mate how to defend these are bigger problems for us than the animals, hmm. right? I mean, how to eat, my God. You know, there is like so many ideas, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, where you begin, well, pick one and stick with it, you know, or change every now and then. But it, there's nothing really definitive hmm. it, uh, with all the research. And so how to eat, how to sleep. You know, there's as many pills for sleeping as there are for staying awake, I would, Im I, I would imagine. And I need not ask the question, but I will, how to mate. That is a huge issue for us. These things are solved by less complex species of life. They start to think, well, maybe we're less complex. You know, maybe they're more advanced, something like that. They figured out these all these questions. Yeah. But we have a question that they don't have. This is my point. That is why. Not how to eat, how to sleep, how to meet, how to protect myself, but why am I? Don't give us a fat head. Why am I? Why? Is the, the, the existential crisis. We are an existential crisis. That's what human, human life is, an existential crisis. So the question is then, if we are this question, why am I? And we're driven, hopefully, to answer it. Hmm? Then there must be, an if there's an answer that, from nature as to the how questions, where will the where will the questions, the answer to the why question come from? You see, they won't come from from nature, they won't come from the objective world because they don't pertain to the objective world. Hmm? They're a subjective question. Hmm? The body is asking. You see, what I'm saying? The body, the brain, are asking. I need to eat. I need to sleep. I feel like I'd like to mate. Hmm? They're asking those questions. Hmm? It's consciousness that asks another question, why? The body doesn't ask why. Hmm? The I that exists, hmm? the I am, they're asking why am I? Hmm? Why am I? But where will the answer to that question come from? It won't come from, the, from, from matter. It has to come from consciousness. It's a consciousness question. In human life, consciousness is coming to the fore in the way 
that it has not yet come to the fore to the same extent in the less complex forms of life. Hmm? As you go up the ladder, you, you find the why type of question kind of coming, kind of coming. Hmm? And with it, there's some freedom. There's some freedom from the how questions. Because why question needs time. It needs time. It needs a lot of time. It should give you all our time. It should be given for that. And then the how questions will be answered automatically. Hmm? It said, Nidrahara vihara karivijito sankhya bihi. About our founders of our tradition hundreds of years ago, the Goswamis. Nidrahara vihara karivijito sankhya bihi. So nice. They, it said, Nidrahara means sleep, eating, hmm? mating, these things, these how questions. They forgot these questions. They forgot to ask them. Hmm? They were so preoccupied with the why question that they got such a profound answer as to the meaning, purpose, the the prospect of consciousness. Hmm? The prospect of consciousness is enormous. If it's if it's if it's separate, if it's independent, if it's not a, a product of um, or a what's the term? Emergence hmm? from matter, from the brain, for example, hmm? which is, of course, what we, we say theoretically. This is the, what the revelation of the Upanishads say. Hmm? Then that is that is a huge uh, game changer as to what what's valuable, what's meaningful, and what what's possible. Hmm? All of a sudden, hmm? all the possibility that you feel, you could you could do, you could experience. This is human life. We feel that we could do more. There's more than what meets the mind and the eye. That's how we feel. Hmm? The cows are not thinking like that. Maybe we could try this, or maybe we could fly in the sky. I know the cow jumped over the moon, but that's not... doesn't happen so often. Hmm? In other words, in human life, we feel that we could do anything. We don't like the word impossible, right? Hmm. The less complex forms of life seem to be settled in. These are the possibilities. These are the parameters within which you live. This is what you do. Get used to it. Hmm. And we just go on. Hmm. Uh, and the problems are solved. But we have this other problem. It means what? Consciousness in human life is coming to the point where it's aware of itself. Hmm. It's there in the less complex forms of life, too. But the vehicle has, is shaping it. Consciousness is not dependent upon matter, but matter can shape consciousness in terms of how it will express itself. It's just like if you drive a Volkswagen, or if I drive a Volkswagen, and you drive a BMW. If I drive a BMW, then people will question. <laughs> so if I drive a Volkswagen and you have a Cadillac... Hmm? Or a fast car, you know. Then you, you, we, the vehicle will shape our ability to drive and express ourselves. We do the same things. I step on the gas, I step on the brake, I move wheel, and so forth. You do too, but it comes out differently. Hmm? So similarly, the different forms of life that we find moving under the influence of consciousness, if you will, 
whether it be plant life, animal life, and so forth, the, the, the body, the shape, the form, is limiting the extent to which consciousness will be able to express itself. Hmm? We, as the Hindus, we have an idea of evolution that precedes uh, Darwin. Um, Spinoza was, was quick to point that out. He is a Spanish, or I think he's Spanish, or Italian philosopher. Long before Darwin, the Hindus were evolutionists. Of course, we're not, not Darwinian in a sense, but we do have, um, we do agree with the, the idea. Jivo jivasya, jivanam. This is a Sanskrit way of saying um, survival of the fittest. Jivo jivasya jivanam. One living being is food for another. That's a fact. One living being is food for another. We are hunting, and it depends which, which way you look. If you look forward, you're hunting. If you look backward, you're being hunted. Hmm? When you take, you owe, and off to work, you go. Hmm? That is the idea of karma. And as much as we are identified with the objective world, the more we feel there are needs to meet the particular form of matter that has arisen out of the objective world that I've identified with. Hmm? This body, for example, has needs. Hmm? So I've identified with it. I feel needy. Now I have to be on the take to some extent. I can do it in a nice way. I could be a blue-collar criminal or I could be a white-collar criminal, but you're going to be a criminal. That's uh, inevitable. Hmm? Hmm? The... the, the this, I mean, I mean, we have to be a taker, hmm? but we want to be a giver. Hmm? You want to be a lover. Hmm? We're interested in love, and we feel love has all possibilities. We feel we could do anything in human life, and we try. The other species don't try. Why we try? Because the shape that the human form affords consciousness is a shape that affords it to come out in a way that it hasn't come out to an extent that it doesn't come out in less complex forms of life. And when it comes out, it starts to feel itself. Therefore, this idea, I am, this we find in human society, I am. I am. Now, why am I? What am I? What is the meaning to I? And all these so this question is coming from consciousness itself. As I say, it's not coming from the objective world. It's not coming from the body. It's coming from consciousness, so it has to be answered in the realm of consciousness. That's what revelation is about. So as I said, if human life is, a, is an existential crisis, in other words, we don't have an existential crisis in the other forms of life. The plants are not having an existential crisis. They may have a crisis, I don't have enough water, but why am I? This is not, not, ha not coming. It comes in human life. So the answer to this question, has to come from outside of matter, has to come from consciousness, from the subjective world. That's what revelation is about. Hmm? So then to reason about that revelation, that's what we call uh, theology. I'm speaking about the Upanishad, the Eastern revelation, and the reasoning about it that's found in the sutras. Upanishad means, as I said, come close, sit close. It means sit close so I can, the implication is I can tell you something that's a secret. Why is it a secret? Because, as I said, the, 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 the general fare hmm, in human society is such 
that they're not that they put off that we put off the why question. Hmm? We put off the why question. We even reason there is no why question, hmm? and only pursue things. Hmm? Some people will be interested in the why question. Those few people should come and sit close. Hmm? They want to. They, then those people who have come to the point of realizing that the world is a big kind of appetizer. And there's no square meal. Hmm? It's only indigestion. It's like this. I have a... I'm carrying a burden on my shoulder. Hmm? What to do? That's getting painful. Simple solution. Move it on this shoulder. Hmm? Simple. That's getting painful. What now? Put it on my head. No problem. Hmm? Then move it back to the other shoulder. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Hmm? Shifting things around like this. Hmm? These are, this is not a comprehensive solution to the angst that we feel. Hmm? Just manipulating matter, shaping it, hmm? uh, uh, acquiring this, now that, now another thing. Hmm? There's a prospect. Material nature seems to be offering us the possibility of a meaningful, fulfilling, enduring, happy life. But under scrutiny, the Buddha said, in my language, it's just an appetizer. Hmm? It's all about indigestion. Hmm? That's what he said. It's all about suffering. That's all. The Gita says it in a nice way. Dukkalaya, <laughs> he says, Dukkha yonaevite, dukkha yonaevite, dukkha. Suffering is born from the womb of attachment. Hmm? Attachment to things gives birth to suffering because you can't keep them, even if you like them. So the more you like them, the more problem it is. Dukkalayam ashashpatam. Krishna, Krishna summed up the world in this way. It is full of suffering. And as if Arjuna, who was asking the questions in the Gita, said, well, I like it. You know, sometimes it's pretty good. Krishna said, this world is dukkalayam, suffering. Arjuna's thinking, well, it's not all that bad all the time. Then Krishna said, ashashpatam. Ashashpatam means impermanence. Hmm? So the implication is, if you like it, then... It's more problematic even, because you can't keep it. If you like something, but you find you cannot keep it, then... So, no square meal. This is the idea. Mm -hmm. It's just um, a case for an invitation for indigestion. Mm -hmm. world is about suffering. This is the Buddha's wisdom, and we, we concur with him. Mm -hmm. But it can end. Hmm? And that is, the world means a particular perspective. The way in which we are identifying with matter as takers hmm? and attaching and acquiring. We think our I, our present sense of I, as I often say, is a result of our sense of my. Two very, a very small word of two letters is a very big problem. The word is my. As soon as you say my, 
you've got a big problem because you've got what you think is yours. Of course, I think we could agree that nothing really belongs to us. We're renters. I mean, we can have things for a while, but we don't own anything. Hmm? We cannot keep anything. Time tells us that. So when we say my, then we think that something is ours. And when we, and what we think is ours has much to do with, with what we think we are. My and I, they go together. If it's my country, then I am, for example, an American. Right? And if it's, if it's my city, then I am a, you know, Saradrahi or whatever, whatever the city is. So whatever. And advertising, of course, knows this very well. People have an identity based on their attachments. So you know what they are attached to, and then you make the car that's just for them. I always used to like that. When I was a kid, they had those advertisements on TV for the Marlboro Man. Hmm? Now he's coughing. There's an ad like that that was put out when a Marlboro, you know, he's got on, he's on a horse. There he is, the individual, and he's smoking. Somebody made an ad more recent times, and then he started <laughs> coughing afterwards. So, so it was the Marlboro Man. In other words, that's my cigarette, and I'm like that, right? This is the whole. So the my, our attachments, hmm, inform our sense of I. What is the problem with that I? Is that nothing is ours. So the I is as false as the idea that something belongs to us. It's as enduring <laughs> as, as, as um, our ownership is, which is non-enduring. Hmm? Problem. Hmm? So the idea is to, some people, are, uh, preoccupied with this kind of thinking and uh, the world has spoken to them in a certain way and 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 they need they have a need to answer quality questions why am i what and they should turn then hmm, to such things like the revelation and persons who are able to then reason about it and use intelligence properly hmm? we are we are if we're different from animals because of intelligence that's only so if we use our intelligence for something other than what the animals pursue. If we only use our intelligence to find better ways to eat and sleep, then we're just bigger animals. And better ways means more for me and less for somebody else. It might be at the, at the cost of extinguishing another species, for example. Hmm? So intelligence has to, should be used differently. It should not make a holy alliance, an unholy alliance with the mind and the senses to facilitate whatever their demands are. These are the, this is the call of the wild. Hmm? We're supposed to be civilized, so we should... And everybody accepts this. I'm not saying anything. Everybody accepts this. You don't just go jump on some lady at the mall because you liked her. You know, you think, well, we do that somewhere else. At first, you're going to you know, meet her on the Internet or something. You know? <laughs> do something first. Uh, so. And so we all accept this, but then how to apply ourselves in this fully, to become fully civilized and more than civilized. Hmm? 
civilized, that's very kind of, that's rather stiff. Hmm? Rather stiff. Hmm? Prim and proper. To be, to an, an intellectually uh, <laughs> guided life is, a, is one where we proceed with caution. Hmm? We want to use the intelligence in such a way that we don't need it anymore, in such a way that the heart will come out. Hmm? Use your head to soften the heart. Hmm? This idea. Hmm? So the Upanishads, they say, come sit. They have a secret message. Secret means that most people won't be interested in it. It's meant for everybody, but most people are not going to be interested in it. So you come sit close. I whisper it in your right ear. These are the, the fact is that... There's a difference between you and matter, hmm? your consciousness. What are your po- and this is the beginning only of the story. There's a difference between you and matter. This is the 101 of of what consciousness is about. All that is saying is consciousness is not that. Hmm? That's a lot. Hmm? To say consciousness is not this, it's not that. This and that refers to objective things. You follow me? this and that from the objective world we're saying it's not part of the objective world how can we then even define it because we define things by comparing them to other things consciousness is not like anything it's not a thing and you are I want to say that but (laughs) you are consciousness what is it Hmm? and why and this is kind of why what what uh, what am I? Why am these are? Hmm? So we begin. The Upanishads begin by saying, "You are not this or that." Neti, neti. It's a profound lesson. Neti, neti. You're not this. You're not that. Hmm? When we say we can't define it, it doesn't mean it becomes less important. Hmm? That's how science has moved for a long time. It moved. Well, we can't say anything about it, so let's just put it over there. We don't have... But now it, of course, comes to, into, into the into the discussion more, more, more readily in recent, recent years. Hmm? As the nature of the objective world has come into question in ways that it hadn't from a classical physics point of view. Moving to a, you know, a quantum physics point of view, there's questions that are what the world is like. Are there any hard bodies out there? Kind of, the answer is no. Hmm. That's weird. <laughs> is the thought and how to respond to that and so forth, and and that the observer has some influence. And so, you, and there you are. You look deep inside the atom to try to get away with from consciousness, and you found it there, <laughs> and you can't get away from it. You have to deal with it. So it's been dealt with a long time ago in the Upanishads, for example. And the Vedanta Sutra is the, is the logic about what all those sounds mean. That's theology. Theology. And I was saying, we as Godias, we have a theological, philosophical ideology. And the word Goda implies sweetness. And it refers to Godadesh, West Bengal, where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared. And the sweetness is more the theological side, hmm? the charm. So philosophically speaking, we can never answer conclusively hmm? 
as to, in a sense, because the about what we're talking about, because the reality as a is transcends words, transcends reason. Hmm? So every every philosophy will have some you know holes in it. I can't satisfy everyone's intellect or logic here by speaking, and you listen to me with your head, um, guarding your heart not letting just anything go in there and and so forth but but there's a there's an aspect to Gaudiya Vaishnavism that is very charming and very sweet so what I'm saying is when you get in a really good philosophical discussion anybody can make points and counterpoints and so on and so forth but Gaudiya Vaishnavism has this beautiful charming card if you will to play hmm? that um, that well, anyway, ours is more charming, you can say. It's, you may make point, I can see that point, and this is my point, and it's, but ours is more charming. And we don't find, a, 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 in my experience, a theology that is so charming, sweet. So the word Gaudiya refers to this sweetness. Hmm? And so it is a very, in the Gaudiya tradition, hmm? Which is a, a, a philosophy, um, you know, a, a, a worldview that um, that uh, embraces love as its ideal. Hmm? Not only not wisdom, but but wise love. Hmm? Not just the wisdom as to the ephemeral nature of the objective world, the folly of the pursuit of a square meal in relation to that which cannot provide it, and so forth. Hmm? That's wisdom of the Buddha, but something more than that, sweet and charming. The idea of emotional life, hmm? because the more I talk about consciousness being different from matter in a basic way, the more our emotional life starts to evaporate. Because hmm? our emotional life is in relation to things and people. Which I said, well, they're here today, they're gone tomorrow, you can't keep them, they're not yours, and, you know... I guess I shouldn't feel like you're mine, because hmm? you're not. And so now my emotional life is evaporating suddenly. So that kind of truth is rather harsh, and we're getting married tomorrow, right? <laughs> Problem. <laughs> you see, that's why. That's why I'm speaking tonight. I'm trying to, you know, it's the last ditch effort, you know. <laughs> no, no. But the beautiful thing is, this is why I say, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, true to its name, Gaudiya, which means, implies sweetness, is very sweet and charming because in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Gaudiya Vedanta, you can have friends. That's incredible. Hmm? In all of the forms of Vedanta, well, in, in, let's say in monistic Vedanta, um, it's questionable. Hmm? How you can have friends? If nothing belongs to you, hmm? and so on. I mean, I'm going through that. Hmm? So that's very interesting. There can be, in other words, the Atma, that unit of consciousness. Not only is it not matter, hmm, which is a huge idea to digest, but then what is it positively? What it is not is one thing. If it is not matter, then it is not under the threat apparent threat of non-existence. Our material form appears to be under the threat of 
of not existing at some point. And it's not an idle threat. Hmm? Right? It's a sure thing, actually. Hmm? Uh, but we live as, as a, without consciously thinking about it, perhaps, that we're under a threat. Hmm? That's how we live. It's a very... It's not... It can't be a loving type of... However we code it or, you know, try to speak about it we, in ways that make it kinder and uh, more comfortable than it is. It doesn't change the fact. Hmm? Hmm? The facts are cold and harsh. One living being, food for another. Hmm? But that's not the whole story. Hmm? Hmm? Who will survive in an enduring way is not the biggest uh, beast. The Upanishads, by going in the opposite direction. In other words, by giving, not by taking. So if you are not matter, then you do not need to take. You understand? All forms of matter are here today. They'll be gone tomorrow. If we identify with the particular form as ourself that's here today, and we know it's going to be gone tomorrow or the next day, or the next day more likely than the day before, and so on, as the days go on. Hmm? This is a... This is a, a problematic existence so in order to try anyway to make it enduring we have to take hmm? or just to it for it to endure a little longer than it might otherwise we have to take we have to constantly be on guard hmm? i mean we're living on guard <laughs> it's very this is not a friendly place we're on guard constantly hmm and when we get a dog to help us out, right? That's a fact. So, so my point here is that that if if we are not matter, as I'm saying, if consciousness is not a uh, a a what is the word emanation or emergent. emergent property of the mind of the brain, excuse me, hmm? if it's not matter, then. It doesn't need anything. In other words, all material forms, if we say they're here today and gone tomorrow, in a more complex way, we say they're not, they're confined by time and space. Hmm? So if consciousness is what we are and we are not matter, then we are not confined by time and space. That means we, we've always existed and we always will. So we have nothing to fear then. We're not, uh, we don't have to take. So, as I say, when I say consciousness does not matter, we no longer have to take. That's a big relief. We don't have to work anymore. I mean, you have to realize it, but then you don't have to work. Hmm? You don't have to struggle. Peace, peace, peace. But what goes good with peace? Anybody from my generation will know the answer. Peace and love, right? So, <laughs> so at least you need a piece of love something <laughs> so what i'm saying is that not taking does not constitute giving it's part of giving but it's not the whole package so if i realize i'm not matter i don't take anymore i can be peaceful i don't have to be on guard anymore and that's such a big thing that many Schools of Vedanta from India, from experiential spirituality, they just stop there. It's like, whoa, 
That's what the Buddha did. That's enough. Just stop right there. Hmm? Peaceful. Hmm? You're not matter. Wow. Realize that the struggle is over. You're not on guard anymore. You can just, just relax. But Chaitanya Dave, he says, yeah, that works for a while, but then what? Hmm? Is that all there is to consciousness, that it's not matter? What is it? We Okay, now we know what it's not. What is it? And, and what are the possibilities that lie there? What are the possibilities of consciousness in relation to matter? So many things. So much variety. Hmm? A world with an appearance of what we call love, which is, whoa, what's that? Hmm? An appearance of that. But it's only an appearance. But if consciousness interfacing with matter creates this huge appearance of love and possibility and prospect of the whole range of emotive life rather than just, I'm peaceful now. I'm not on guard anymore. Hmm? If consciousness creates a semblance of that, if you will, in relation to matter, why not in relation to itself? It has such prospect. Hmm? Emotions that are not rooted in the mind only, hmm? or the brain, well, mind, hmm? but in consciousness itself. Hmm? That means now we're saying that consciousness is not matter. That's kind of the beginning, 101. Hmm? But what it is, it has the capacity to love. Hmm? For that, another is required, of course. Hmm? Another is required. That must be a consciousness other. It cannot be a con part of matter. Hmm? So that we have a source. So in relation to our source, consciousness, we can, there can be this back and forth, reciprocal dealings. This we call love. And that would be a very wise love because you've arrived at that by seeing through the illusion hmm, and the ignorance that arises and the suffering that arises from attachment. Hmm. So this is where it becomes very sweet then. Hmm. You know, it, sometimes in Southern Baptists, a lot of Southern Baptists around here, they, they feel that they're going to die and they're going to go to heaven. Everything's going to be there. I don't know what age they're going to be, but everybody's going to be. But they're all going to be there. They're going to take you all, you know. In other words, they want to go. They want to go with everything else. You know, we're saying, well, you can, but it's a little different than that. You know, it's a little, <laughs> you got a little to go with some things, and you have to make the center of your life a little different than the things. But, but some truth to it, in a sense. You follow me? Hmm? Life of love hmm? must exist if a shadow of the same exists. And where is that shadow of love coming from? It's coming from consciousness, the way it interrelates with matter in human form of life. We get a semblance, a shadow of love. So there must be real love. Where must it come from? It, it, that possibility lies in consciousness. And loving, then, is about giving, right? It's not just... And not taking is included in loving. If I love, I don't take. And love is giving. Hmm? So there are philosophies, if you will, in spiritual disciplines that aimed, are aimed at not taking and being peaceful. We are aiming at loving, and not taking is included in that. And the peace comes with love. It comes part of the deal. Hmm? You, get, you get both for the price of one. Hmm? And to go in that direction a little bit, 
about love. We're talking about Prema Dwani, the answer to your question. I'm sorry for the long answer. But Prema Dwani, love sounds. Hmm? This is coming from love sounds, sounds from the Upanishads, sounds from the Kirtan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? It's Goloker Premodhan Harinamsan Kirtan. Sounds exported from there, from that side, from the subjective world into the objective world that speak about the prospect of consciousness, hmm? unfettered by by matter hmm? and the demands of the natural world that we've identified with. Hmm? That life, love life in transcendence, if you will, hmm? that possibility, hmm? this is what the Gaudiya tradition is very much uh, preoccupied with, focused on. Hmm? And the chanting is about that, and so the focus is very positive, and as a byproduct of it, the separating, if you will, oneself from matter is is accomplished. So what I'm saying is that by attaching ourselves spiritually, I said attachment is a problem. When we attach ourselves to things that don't endure, that's a problem because we can't keep them. We can attach ourselves to something that endures, so, as we endure, our source endures. And attachment there will form an identity in consciousness. Not a material identity. A personhood, an environment, the possibility of emotional life, and all the whole, whole range of it and so forth. In the words, real love, 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 real love exists. And it's wise. And now we experience only a semblance of it, and, it, and it's no wonder that it, it never quite um, uh, works out. But because the shadow only exists because the substance does, real love does, hmm? this is a, then a teaching, a philosophy in which you can, like I say, you can have friends. Hmm? You can have friends. You it. I should talk about it tomorrow during the wedding, but um, and and I suppose I, I I'll say something along these lines. But that you see, love um, there has to be another, and if there, and there has to be really for the full face of love, there has to be more than one, more than two. Hmm? There have to be three, four, and so and as many as there are the more the love increases and there are nuances of it. Hmm? Right? There's the different kinds of love. There's romantic love. There's friendly love. There's parental love. Hmm? So you can't have kind of all of them with your wife or with your husband. You need kids for that. You need... hmm? So there's an idea here that in transcendence, the self has the prospect. Hmm? If it's wise to love wisely and experience all of these nuances of love that are manifest here in a, in a kind of a shadow, in a semblance, uh, uh, partially, kind of turned around backwards or something like that. Uh, so that means there has to be a whole, you have to have friends. You understand? In transcendence, that's why devotees, devotees of Krishna, they love one another. It's okay. 
It's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm saying, in, 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 anyway, yeah. In Buddhism, for example, you can love others, but it's only provisional. Because hmm? ultimately there are no others. It's provisional. Compassion is the big idea of love in this world. Hmm? It, 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 it dwarfs all other kinds of love. Compassion. But in our school, compassion is the low end of love. It's the low end of love. It's a provisional type of love. We want to love God. Can you have compassion for God? It's the other way around, right? Um, there is a there is a way to have compassion. That's all. That's part of the, <laughs> that's very complex. But that's that's what we call vatsalya, for example. Or karunya, this kind of rasa, this kind of feeling in transcendence for Krishna. Hmm? Just a minute. So if this this kind of Krishna-centered, that's what Krishna represents, this possibility. It's not a sectarian idea, but all the possibilities of love. If you study the idea, that's what, what's being spoken about. So we love Krishna in relation to Krishna. We we can love other devotees, and they their love for one another will augment our love for Krishna, hmm? for God, hmm? and we'll have compassion too. And long we're in this world, hmm? that will loom 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 large. Hmm? But but in Buddhism, loving is is provisional. Hmm? In 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 Advaita. Advaita is non-dualism. Loving is provisional only. Hmm? Ultimately, there's not there's nobody else. So there's nobody to love. So these aren't doctrines of love. They're wise, meaningful, hmm? and they speak about closing down the the, the, the false marketing of love in the world, hmm? putting them out of business and so forth with wisdom. But this Gaudiya tradition. This is a real, rich, sweet, and charming doctrine of love. It says there's possibility for love in transcendence. Hmm? And so the sounds that come through the revelation, the Eastern revelation, they're about this. So when the Gaudiya people, they're supposed to be sweet. You're all supposed to be very sweet people because you're Gaudiya. Now you have to work on that. Hmm? <laughs> me, me too. So you know, try to get your good company for that. Very sweet. Very kind, very loving, and charming, and and so when they do kirtan, when they do this kirtan of Krishna Nam, name of God and so forth, then they feel feel filled with love, and they feel filled with love, and they think of all of those who, in connection with this, these feelings of wise love have come. And then they, they engage in what's called the prema dhwani. That is your question. After the kirtan, they say, Jayum, Vishnupad, Paramahamsa, Paribrajakacharya, whatever, all these words, and you're supposed to know the meaning in time. Hmm? But it's, but the substance of it is this. It's called prema dhwani. Hmm? One of my students, you know, Tadia, she said, I love that man. That's so nice. Prema dhwani. Love notes. 
I think, don't think she translated it like that, but uh, such a nice, well, I'm fine. Thank you. Such a nice idea. These are love notes. So after the kirtan, there are some love notes that go. The kirtan is too, in a way, but the kirtan is for Krishna. And then you say, oh, I, Jai, hmm? for my guru, and his guru's guru, and his guru's guru, and his guru's guru. And that's what it is. Jai, Jai, and everybody goes. Say the guru's name and the guru's guru's name and the guru's 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 and and then whoever else you can think of who's <laughs> who's had a part in this that that made this possible that I could be in this kirtan and have the experience that I have and so the more you have that experience the more you are enthusiastic at the time of the prema dwani hmm? afterwards it's an after note hmm? does that help yeah. I wanted to try to speak in such a way to bring everybody into the into the music here. <laughs> what we're all gathered for. What else? Yes. Yeah, it's a little bit different than most questions, but with um, Krishna's pastimes, after he defeats. Uh, no. Um, Kamsa. Kamsa. Yeah. After he defeats Kamsa, I know he goes and like he does, he has, um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, after he defeats Kamsa, there's not really much else said until he comes into contact with the Pandavas. Is there any, like, was there anything that happened in between that time that was... What is your name? Nice to meet you. Yes, Krishna left Vrindavan. It's not a favorite topic of mine, but um, <laughs> Krishna left Vrindavan. Only in appearance, actually. When Krishna is present in Mathura, or Dwarka, physically, so to speak, fully manifest there in person, he's actually more present in Vrindavan than he is in Dwarka. In his absence from Mathura, from Vrindavan, he's more present than his presence, than he is present in his presence in Dwarka. Because the love for Krishna in Vrindavan Leela is greater, and wherever the love is, there has to be a corresponding object. Hmm? So, this is the whole teaching. Actually, the teaching of Krishna leaving the pastoral Leelas of Vrindavan to go to Mathura and Dwarka and Hastinapur, you're talking about, hmm, where you met the Pandavas and so forth. These all Leelas are reflecting back on Vrindavan. If you understand them properly, they're all reflecting back and showcasing the love of Vrindavan as the ideal. Hmm? So, at any rate, yes, um, that's how to understand all those things. You're wondering what else he did. Of course, he went to Mathura. There he stayed for some time. There he married Rukmini. Hmm? And um, there he got his education in the school of Sandipani Muni. Hmm? And um, there he met Uddhava, hmm? was this very powerful uh, event 
in his life. Hmm? Um, all these things are played out beautifully in the, in, in the literature. There he um, um, eventually, from the Matura Leela, he gathered up his group and went to Dwarka, built a city in Dwarka hmm? on the seaside which is very palatial and opulent and godly and so forth. Um, and so these are three important places. And in between there is Hastinapur, where the Pandavas lived. Hmm? The meeting with Arjun is, of course, very touching, his friend. But many things, the Dwarka Leela, the Mathura Leela, and then there's the, the Leelas with the Pandavas, like the Kurukshetra War. Are you referring to that? Uh, yeah, that comes much later, actually. That comes near the very end hmm, of Krishna's manifest Leela. So, so much has gone on in Mathura and in Dwaraka. Krishna is said to be perfect in Dwaraka. He's more perfect in Mathura and most perfect in Vrindavan. So, that what that speaks about is the nature of the love of the inhabitants. Hmm? So, the nature, that depends how you approach Krishna, how then Krishna will appear. Hmm? So the idea of Vrindavan is that Krishna, if you studied it, he's in the hands of the people there. He's one of them. Hmm? He's completely like controlled by them, if you will. It's a very extraordinary idea, theological idea. He's controlled by them. Hmm? That is that is all that is where the Lila, the word Lila, pertains in the full sense of the term only to the Vrindavan Lila. Not to the Mathura Leela, not to the Hastinapur Leela, not to the Dwarka Leela. Those are Leelas. But the full sense of the term applies to Vrindavan. Because Leela means play. There he is a play thing in the hands of his devotees. He has nothing to accomplish. In Mathura he has something to accomplish. He has to establish Dharma. He has to, in, in Dwarka he has something to accomplish. What is what? What a, he has to speak the Bhagavad Gita, give the teachings for the people, all these things. Vrindavan has nothing to do with that in one sense. Hmm? Only playing. And there he is a plaything hmm? <laughs> in the hands of the people there. What kind of place is that? That is the place where the infinite has to take a finite like shape in order to be on intimate terms with the finite. You understand? We are finite, God is infinite. So if there's to be intimacy between us, God will have to take a finite-like appearance. Otherwise, if we know we're sitting next to the infinite, we'll say, oh my God, and it will be it'll be like, whoa. There can't be intimacy. Hmm? So this is what Krishna means. Hmm? The absolute, the infinite, taking a finite-like appearance for the sake of intimacy. With whom? Hmm? Yeah, you study what, what kind of devotees are of this Vrindavan standard, this of the, have this kind of audacity to think as they do. Hmm? You see? Some people want things from God. Right? People think they are a thing, so they want more things. Like attracts like, so they ask God for things. Give me this, give me that. Nothing could be more boring to God than that. And you're not a thing, and you want things, and you think you are a thing. Okay. Well, nice meeting you anyway. <laughs> Here's some things, you know. 
uh, he's wise, goes to try to give them in such a way that they'll they'll gradually teach you hmm, about yourself. Hmm. Some people don't want things; they want eternal life. They want to get away, in the words, from the suffering of birth and death. No, that's their pursuit. They want to stop taking because they know when I hunt, I'm hunted, and I'm getting tired of that. So they want to stop being hunted. So they have a motive. I don't want to be hunted, therefore I want to stop. One group wants things. The other group wants to get away from things, knowing that if I get away from things, in other words, if I know myself as consciousness independent of matter, then no thing will be able to hurt me. No thing will get in my way. I will exist for I do exist forever, and I can experience it. So some people want things. Some people want eternal life. Hmm? But neither of these interests have are very interesting to to the Godhead. Because it's, what does the Godhead do? Is the Godhead centered on us? Is our source just centered on us? Whatever we want. And if we're happy, the Godhead is happy. Hmm? I mean, many of you are parents. You can say, if my kids are happy, I'm happy. Kind of, yeah, to a point. But that can get old too, right? Hmm? You love them. You want them to be happy. But their happiness alone hmm, is not everything to you. Hmm? Sometimes you even want to get away from them, have your own, you know, time. Need time to myself, something like that. Never. That's because he's been gone for a long time. You're thinking like that. No, I mean, it's only a material example. But my point is that that the Godhead is not just, is not, is not like its fullness. The Godhead, his, his happiness, the, the, the Ananda of the Godhead, is not just dependent upon... But our happiness with things, or the fact that we, you know, now you've realized that you're 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 eternal, great. Hmm? I was saying consciousness has such potential. Well, to speak of the source. So, if we want things, we want to get away from things, so that no thing can trouble me. Hmm? These are God's a good person I suppose to approach for that whoever you want to define God but I mean, I'm defining it in a particular way that's fine but is there anything else about God that might be does, does God have a life if the sparks of the fire have some life and capacity to illuminate what to speak of the fire hmm? but who's interested in that we're interested in God in terms of our own um, interests our interest in things, which is ignorance, our interest in ourself getting away from things. Hmm? These are, factually speaking, the two tracks on which material life runs. We go after things to try to collect them and enjoy them. And when they don't turn out to be as satisfying as we thought, we want to get rid of them. Hmm? We want things and we want to get rid of things at the same time. We want new things. We want to get rid of the old things. Hmm? After we get rid of the old things, we get the new things. Sometimes we wish we had the old things back. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> this is, uh, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we want things. We want to get up, give up, get, get get rid of things. We wanted something, and then it, oh God, I wanted him so bad, and he turned out to be like just a couch potato. He's terrible. I got to get rid of him. Can, can I trade him in? It works both ways too. So <laughs> this is this is material life. So these desires in relation to God to get things or to get away from things, I would not call them wholly spiritual. Hmm? Do you understand? They're no different than the way we move in this world, except that, well, you're asking somebody else for it who's supposed to be outside the world and has the power to you know, give you the things or get you completely away from things, give you all things or hmm? get you away from all things. But the point is, is God just 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 some robot or what that, that gives you the things you want you know or some of them because <laughs> you can't really have them all it's an impossibility so okay so or it takes you away from things that's possible and then there you are you're just there you're, you have no things you have no problem you just exist you're you're happy god's not even in the picture is what i'm saying so those who are interested in this very curious question i'm not interested in things and I'm not really interested in getting away from things. What I'm interested in is what, what the heck you are all about. What do you do for fun? What's with, what's, what's the source about? What is it, you know, okay, we live in this world. We have a sun. It rises. Our day starts. It's huge. Every day this huge event occurs. The sun rose. It's huge. I mean, we don't, think about it very much but if it didn't rise one morning that would make the papers if we could read them uh, but it's huge a huge event huge event and so to use an analogy the sun rises and uh, let's compare the sun to god okay so how much our life is dependent upon the sun rising for the sake of having it's got to rise sometimes or, or are definitely going to get depressed Right, little sun. Oh, it's just like oh, feeling better already. You know, it's good for the mind. Hmm? It's good for, if we have vegetation because of the the sun. Hmm? We have electricity for this. We can we can we can sit. You know, with friends and text other friends at the same time. <laughs> it's all because of the sun, because of the fire. Right? We can. So all of so, the sun is providing so many things for us to do and so much possibility, hmm? right? The sun makes water that we can use by evaporating, for example, water that we can't use and distilling it and sending it down in such a way that, as I say, vegetation grows. So, so that we're dependent. We, we should worship the sun, hmm? right? Really, we should. Hmm? So here we are. God is the sun in this analogy and and he's providing all kinds of things for us hmm? meanwhile nuclear explosions are going on on the sun so somebody thinks what's that all about hmm? we're only thinking of the sun in relation to ourselves in this world but what is what's going on in the sun itself so this is the curious question in, in, in our tradition. What's going on in the source itself? And the answer is nuclear explosions are going off. Hmm? That means 
avatars, emotional moments, emotional waves in the ocean of consciousness that the God it is are 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 occurring, and 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 though there's life there, and so interest in that would arguably get God's interest more than, could you give me some things? Could you get me away from these things? So the approach is very different. And interestingly enough, of course, if you approach the Godhead in it with this, what are you about? Hmm? What's going on there in the source? I know I'm consciousness, theoretically, I'm different from matter, so all, I have all kinds of possibilities that I didn't have in relation to matter, where my life is limited, constrained. Hmm? What to speak of the source? What are the possibilities? This is what Gaudi Vaishnavism is, is about. I mean, objectively speaking, it's true. I mean, all religious traditions have some value, obviously, and some of them are ego-effacing, and so they're very valuable. Hmm? But... Uh, this is the charming side of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the kind of information. You can take it or leave it, but it's, it, it's, this is theoretically what it's about. Hmm? I mean, you can, you can hear that the streets are paved with gold in heaven. I don't know. He has no face. Um, they got a lot of things they say about, not too much. Hmm? I don't know. In Islam, you can, you, you can get 99, um, what do they call wives or something? Virgins, virgins, virgins. I don't know what the what the gals get. I guess they get to be virgins or somebody. I, you know, I mean, if you even play out some of the ideas about the emotional and emotional afterlife, they start to become like I don't ever want to go there. That doesn't sound sound pretty. It might be good for the men, but I don't know if it's good for the women. I don't even know if it's good for the men. That sounds. You know, but the the ideas about transcendence and emotional life and transcendence that we find in Gaudiya Vaishnavism are very, very charming, and very well thought out. I mean, they they have a philosophical canvas in which the, that art, drama, if you will, and, uh, Leela that's put the songs uh, 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 arise out of. Hmm? It's very compelling in, insight coming through the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, for example, what's going on there? And the interest in that will result in whatever things you do need while you are here. You may say, okay, Swami, fine. Things aren't in my interest, but some things I need. I agree. Hmm? Some things. Not usually as many as we think. And how many do we need? We need enough things in our life that we have enough balance materially to pursue spiritual life on two feet. Hmm? If you want to jump up and touch the stars, you want to start with two feet on the ground. Hmm? So get enough things that you've got enough balance. If you need a partner, get a partner. Go for it. Got it? Okay. Now hold hands and jump hmm? <laughs> together as high as you, you, know, you want to touch the stars. That's the idea. So you get, But you don't need too many things, but some things. Hmm? Live simply, think highly. Hmm? You need some things, so you. But you'll get the things. Material well-being, it follows spiritual well-being. Hmm? If we think material well-being means I have to have this, this, and that, you know, that's not in your well-being, in your in your interest, actually. Hmm? 
So you get what you need. Yoga, Jamam Bahamiyaham, Krishna says. You'll get what you need and more, hmm? materially speaking. And naturally, you'll understand that you're eternal. You'll experience it. You'll actually experience that you're eternal right now. It's very compelling. Hmm? You'll experience it. Hmm? And it will be ongoing in time. And it will be, it will, you will feel it when you go to sleep, and you will feel it the same when you wake up. Hmm? First it will come a little bit, and you say, boy, that was ecstatic. Hmm? Then it will come for three, four days at a time, then for a week, then for a month. Hmm? And then your conditioning will, your, will come again, and then for a month, then a year, then. Hmm? So you'll get the things, you'll get away from the things. Hmm? And you'll get to give. Hmm? And when you give, then you get the most. Hmm? That is the thing. We should understand this point. That's an important point. Here we gather to love. Hmm? Not to get loved, but to love. If you're coming to get loved, you're, gonna, you're not going to get the, picture, the whole picture. If you come to love, come to serve, hmm? then you'll get loved. Hmm? It's proactive, in other words. <laughs> if you love, you will be loved. If you give, you will receive. If you think the sum and substance of loving is, I want, I need to be loved, even psychologically, we know this. Don't look for a partner now. Hmm? You gotta get yourself together a little bit, you know. If you think, I need to be loved, I gotta go find somebody, I need, you're, you're, it's a real recipe for, for a problem. Hmm? A little bit we'll feel like that, I understand. But hmm? but it's a fact that giving is receiving. It's a fact. It, this means it's a fact that life is it, we experience every day is something that is not illogical, but it transcends logic and reasoning. Because by logic, if you give, you lose. You have less. By math, if you have 10, you give 5, you have 5. But our experiences, when we give, we, we, we gain. Hmm? There are many examples. Hmm? Love. Love requires two. What does it require the two to do? You were listening to me sometimes. <laughs> to become one. Now, when the two become one in love, do the two go away? No. Now, how can you have one and two at the same time? It's a two or is it one? It's one and two. That makes three. Uh, no, it's not three. It's one and two. It's a third thing, yeah. Hmm? That we call love. This is, you see, we know this. We experience this. The two, they want to become one and still be two at the same time. And they need to be, for there to be reciprocal dealings. They need to be one and two. And how can you be one and two? It doesn't make sense logically, but that's how life works. Or that's how it, we feel it should work. Hmm? It should work that way. It does work that way. You've got to get out of logical positivism. We talked about that earlier. That's not a good idea. Hmm? You're not, <laughs> yeah. Lot to everything answer to lot to put reason on the altar is a big mistake. Hmm? Reason has an important role to play in reasoning about these kind of things. To reason, as I said, use your head. To soften your heart, that is useful. Hmm? 
but just to reason. Then, then you reason out, I should be kind to, okay, I should be. It makes sense, I should be. So you can reason about that. But that's not how you <laughs> how you can really be because you don't have to be by the reason. So when you have to be, that transcends reason. What was your question? Yes is the answer. Hmm? Yes. Yes. They, because the sadhaka, hmm, that means the practitioner, hmm, the practitioner has to has to um, has to develop compassion. Hmm? Um, it's very um, practical. Uh, bhakti is a gift, so the way in which you can begin to. I uh, appreciate that as, you know, to gratitude, gratitude, hmm? and one of the ways in which you, if you can be given something very valuable and, and it's in abundance and you appreciate it, then one of the ways to show that appreciation is to share it with others, which is a very, com- which would be an act of compassion, for example, in our tradition. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he said, what did he say? He said, That's right. Jive doi krishnanam sarva dharma sar. The essence of the dharma is to to chant krishnanam and be kind to others. Hmm? Show kindness to other living beings. Jive doi. Hmm? These two go together. Hmm? So chanting is is a comp- the, the the giving of the chanting to you, for example. That is a, is a supreme act of compassion, we would say. Hmm? And so, so love has been shown to you in that way. And so if you have understood it, appreciate it, naturally you'll share it. So, yes, compassion in this world. All the Vaishnavas, they have no sorrow, it is said. They have no sorrow for themselves, but for the, the, the fact that other people are sorrowful hmm, in a world of tears, if you will, they have tears for them. Hmm? Uh, it is said that Radha is the compassionate nature of Krishna. Radha is the goddess of bhakti. So there's a little Radha in every devotee, a little bhakti in every devotee. Hmm? So every devotee should be compassionate if they have the, if they have real bhakti, even even in the beginning practitioner stage, naturally, you know if you and you get a little experience. And I was young, and I used to distribute Prabhupada's books. 
to the public, I would go out. One of those guys at the airports, you know. And I admit it. So I would, I would, it was a very powerful experience for me. And I would feel great ecstasy, very absorbed at times. And I would just feel like if I just would, just a little effort, I could share this with somebody. That's the least I could do. The way I'm feeling, and I know that somebody could feel like this, and the only thing that's getting in the way of that is that that they haven't been offered, had had this offer. I should make that offer. I'll be honest, when I was young, I didn't feel like that all the time, but a lot of the times. It was an effort to do. But So if you have a little, then you naturally feel that way. It's part of the package. So, good question. So, next question. We have to ask our cooks. Cooks? They've gone, huh? <laughs> Still cooking? Okay, then you should serve the prasadam. Ah, prasad ki jai. Haribo. You have a question, too? No. <laughs> <laughs> You have a private question. You're coming over to ask me, do I want a potato or something? Yeah. Do you want a potato? Yes. <laughs> right out of the Upanishads, you see. Come sit close. Do you want a potato? Do you want prasadam? Yes. <laughs>